0: Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Lives Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation. Where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at healinglives.com. Welcome, welcome. Today I have an amazing uh, chance to have a very difficult and important conversation about a hard topic. Um, so I'm really excited today to, to talk to you, Daryl Rogers. Um, so welcome.
1: Thank you. Appreciate you having me on today.
0: Yes. Um, we, I don't know, it's one of these, there's so many topics, it's just not fun to talk about. And then today, we're definitely going to get into some very personal story and um, just kind of what's led to to you doing what you do today and what your heart and passion is. So share us a little bit about um, just kind of that overview of your story and what God's done in your life.
1: Okay. So um, in 2014, my oldest son, Chase, died in a drug-impaired wreck. Um, and I had no experience with addiction in my family mm-hmm. um it never really been uh, it, it exposed to any of that at all and so it caught me completely off guard because uh Chase um really it was in his soft uh, well I mean his uh, freshman year of college the, the right. second semester of his freshman year that um he dropped out of college That's that's when I really knew he had a problem, uh, um, a a substance abuse problem. And, um, uh, it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. And then, um, you know, uh, that was about a year and a half before he died in the wreck. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when he, when he passed away, um, it just really, um, I was looking for answers. I was trying to find out what is this all about? You know, what, and, and I went on a search to try to get some answers about addiction. And, um, part of that was, um, you know, as I was learning, I was beginning to do uh, substance abuse prevention, speaking, impaired driving prevention, speaking. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, someone directed me to PAL, which is a, um, a faith-based, a Christian-based group that's mm-hmm. nonprofit that is, um, stands for PAL stands for parents of addicted loved ones. Nice, And, um, it is, I, uh, I didn't start off in a facilitator role, but I got asked to be a co-facilitator pretty early on. And then I, uh, the person who founded that group, I went back to work full time and, and couldn't maintain the responsibilities anymore. And I just I took over the group from there in terms of the facilitating role.
0: Nice.
1: And um, so I've been doing that since about 2018.
0: Nice. Yeah, it sounds like you because of your own personal experience, obviously, with. The devastation of losing your son that your heart was first of all broken, but then sent in a certain journey uh, not only to yeah. find answers, but it looks like God's used you to definitely impact other people and to kind of raise awareness and um, uh, resources that kind of stuff. So that's beautiful,
1: yeah. And it's been part of the healing process for me as well. Um, yeah. you know, because, uh, in the you know, everybody has a different grief journey, mm-hmm. and um, um, mine fairly early on—not Im- not immediately, uh, but uh, within the first uh, thirty days or so after my son died, um, I was very angry. You know, I went through this period of just being very angry, and um, I dove into uh, writing and decided I would write a memoir. And, and, uh, over the next year or so I I finished that up and published the memoir, um, and really just, you know, vented a lot of my frustrations in that book. And, uh, I look back on it now and I, and, you know, I can glance over the book and I, I just cringe when I read certain parts <laughs> because, because my views have changed a lot. Uh, my views about addiction and, and, um, uh, you know, I, I just really was, I think I was really judgmental of people who were struggling with addiction issues because I didn't understand. Um, and so, uh, but for whatever reason, that book has struck a chord with a lot of people. Um, It's free for people to download the Kindle version uh, or the digital version. And um man, it's had a ton of downloads and I've had people reach out to me. Um, nice. Some people, who are you know recovered addicts, um, just just people from all walks of life, you know parents who've lost a child to addiction, different situations, but uh, it's really com- connected me to a lot of people.
0: Well, it sounds like it's even though it may you may have changed your views, you've deepened mm-hmm. your understanding. It resonates with people because that's possibly what they're feeling. Like they they resonate with the story because of their own experiences.
1: Yeah, I think I think particularly people who are in recovery, they go, wow, this is what my family, this is what I was putting my family through, you know. And and I didn't realize because I don't think they've ever the fact that it was so raw and that it was right on the heels of his death, I think gives them a clearer perspective of what a family member is feeling like when they're going through that.
0: Yeah, because it's going to, from them, it's going to look very different. It's going to be experienced very different. They feel judgment and anger and almost hatred from their family. Mm-hmm. When really that's grief and sorrow and confusion and lack of understanding and education has happened.
1: Yeah, that too. And, you know, that's what you brought up there about the grief is really an important point. And I talk about that quite often that um, really um there is what uh some people call anticipatory grief uh mm-hmm. when when a parent is is um uh, you know experiencing a situation where they have a child with a, a when i say child you know it's usually Teenage. that means uh teenagers or or adult children um but uh, when, when they're experiencing that um situation they're grieving um because they're uh Number one, they feel like they've lost the child that they have because they're no longer behaving like that child, right? Um, and then this the other thing is they're they're scared to death of what could happen, whether it's an overdose or some other drug related incident that takes their life. And so um, they're already in the grieving process. Right. and uh, I'll tell people that it really, it's that part of the grieving process is is more intense in some respects than than the grief that comes after losing a child.
0: Mm-hmm. Very true. Because
1: you you just don't know what's coming. You're always in anticipation of what, you know, what's going to come that you're dreading.
0: Yeah. And you're losing the the dream. Like we have a picture of what we want to see our, mm-hmm. our kids grow up and family and that they're healthy. And so all that is dying slowly, a slow, slow yeah. death, if you will. Um, but yeah, that anticipation of the unknown of what's the next phone call going to be with what kind of yeah. drama is almost it is more stress on the body, the mind, relationships, your marriage, all that stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, that that is so true. Um, you know, when you get that phone call late at night and you're thinking, uh, is that the police and what do they want? You know, yeah. um, and there's nothing good, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. I mean. Um, or you know you're getting a phone call and you don't know who is calling and and you're wondering you know it just you know you kind of get triggered yeah um, and and parents have to work on that to try to control those those fears you know
0: so for you the journey you wrote that memoir which was very raw and then you said your views had changed a lot of the a lot of that came from your research right from your being a student basically.
1: Yeah. A student in a lot of different ways. And, um, part of it was, um, you know, I sort of, um, I became acquainted with kids who were in Chase, in the circle that Chase was running in. Okay. And, uh, I got pretty involved with them and, uh, I mean, I wouldn't recommend anybody else do that. <laughs> 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 but it was my way of learning and mm-hmm. uh um I learned some things that way for sure and I learned some things to steer clear of, you know. Yeah. But um uh and I, I tried to help, you know, I, I I helped one kid get into treatment. Um mm-hmm. and uh in the meantime, his life was such a such a mess. You know, I was trying to help him in and trying to help him get all everything together he needed to. And he actually moved in with us for a little while. Mm-hmm. And that's the part I wouldn't recommend um, for a lot of different reasons. But uh, but I did learn a lot by, you know, interacting with him.
0: Nice. Well, I know a lot of the things that I see is the confusion about what does it mean to love them? Like you even mentioned, you know, having that kid move in with you. It's so hard to know what the actual, my next step here, is it me loving them or am I actually only making it worse? Because mm-hmm. our heart is to mm-hmm. rescue. Our heart is to save. Yeah. And yeah. we're not the savior, That's but yeah, right. you want to, every fiber of your being wants to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's um, you know, how do you help people? How do you help people in that situation and uh you know it takes me back to when I was a kid my my dad was a Southern Baptist preacher um mm-hmm. and uh um that you know he was always he had a very kind heart he was always looking for ways to it wasn't necessarily looking for ways to help people, but when he saw people in need, you know he would um would try to help and he um he you know he had that wisdom to know that. Um, when someone came to him for help uh, in, you know, looking for money or whatever, like, you know, you don't give them money, like I'll buy you some gas or I'll I'll go buy you a meal if you want a meal. But even that can be sometimes not such a good idea because it frees up money for them to go spend on drugs. Yeah. You know, it says, how do you help someone that's in that situation? Um, you know, and, and the best thing that you can do, I think, is to, you know, make resources available to them like hey you know uh, i'll i'll make treatment available or i'll point you in the right direction you know to where you can get the help that you need
0: well i think the scary thing about addiction in general is you no matter what we do no matter our heart no matter even the effort or even money mm. it's hard to help someone who doesn't want help that's their yeah, best friend that's now. right yeah the, the drug yeah. of choice is their best friend And you're basically telling them to betray their best friend. Yeah.
1: And that that is a really good point because, um, uh, you know, first of all, they have to want the help and, and, but then you have to be careful. Uh, You really have to have some discernment there because they can be very, very manipulative. (laughs) And it is not, it's not that they're intending to be, they're not, they're not intending to take advantage of you. Well, you know, sometimes they might be, but in a right. lot of cases, it's just that craving for their substance mm-hmm. is so strong that their subconscious mind is driving them to do things and say things, you know, um, and, and they do end up taking advantage of you if right. you're not careful. So you really have to be discerning about, about those sort of things. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's where like with addiction, if you think of our free will and then let's say that we had, and I don't think this is necessarily, necessarily true, but 100% of our free will, when you get impaired, so when there's something else that is almost more in demand than anything else, my ability to choose shrinks. And so mm-hmm. that becomes the most important thing. And so they, you will That's see true. someone who have has incredible morals, it seemed like a few years ago, violate those morals and to the point of selling their body or other things they never would have done for that drug of choice, it's in charge. Yeah,
1: yeah. and usually um, uh, this is one thing that sort of changed my mind Mm -hmm. or made me begin to see things a little bit differently that, you know, people who have an addiction, usually there's some sort of underlying uh, issue, psychological issue, Um, could be mental health. It could be, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell with mental health, with mental health did the drugs cause the drug use cause the mental health problems or <laughs> were they there underlying to begin with, you know, which right. came first. Yeah. Um, and it can go either way, but um uh, you know, um, uh, usually there's something they're trying to cope with. They're using the drugs or alcohol as a coping mechanism. Yeah. And um so to me, it's very important to try to get them into therapy so that they can identify what is, what are those underlying causes? What is really, What's at the root of all of that? Um, Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And that's a, to me, that's a, almost a minimal standard really for everyone. I don't think everyone needs to be in therapy,
1: but mm -hmm. we all
0: have a mental health to stay, to handle or to manage. And it's Mm -hmm. times of stress that actually makes that, you know, since play out, come out, which freshman year of college um can definitely do it, or even wrapping up high school if there's a high demand for either achievement or grades or sports Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. a lot of that but there's the other side of that is for some it's just pure i i tried it i liked it i want more of it Mm -hmm. but for Mm -hmm. a lot of people i think you're right it's there is something else underlying the majority um that there's a reason why they're trying to cover pain you know or Mm -hmm. pursue pleasure but
1: yeah Um, man, there's so many different variables involved with, with addiction, you know, uh, there, there, I think sometimes there is a, um, uh, genetic, uh, predisposition for some people. Mm -hmm. Um, I've noticed that, you know, when I add, when I, when I meet parents who, um, you know, when parents come to me with this issue, one of the first questions I will ask is, has your child ever been diagnosed ADD, ADHD? Yep. And it seems like nine times out of 10, the answer is yes. Yep. So true. It seems like more so with boys. Correct. But uh, so there's there's definitely a correlation there. And I'm not 100% sure on what it is. I don't think anybody really knows 100%. I think, you know, sometimes um, it could be, um, you know, it could be the drugs that they were prescribed uh, could have right. a bearing on it. Uh, sometimes they're very uh, ADHD people can be very um, impulsive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that impulsivity tends to lead towards, you know, trying things that other people wouldn't try, you know, things right. like that.
0: Very, very true. Yeah. So. With like with your son, did he end up during that season go to going to treatment at all or. He what? did go to treatment. OK, yeah.
1: Yeah, we, um, you know, he dropped out of college and Mm -hmm. came back home and gravitated to a really rough crowd here at home. Yeah, and um, at one point he had moved out. Uh, He and I sort of butted heads a little bit, and and Mm -hmm. really, I just, I just, I just, um, my wife and I both had agreed that there were certain guidelines, like you, you can't be gone overnight or for two or three days and not communicate with us if you're staying at home. And right. he wasn't trying to, he was he wouldn't abide by those rules and he wasn't trying to better himself. Um, I'd offered to, you know, help him get into community college to 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 learn a trade or mm-hmm. I suggested maybe the military, but he wasn't interested in really doing any of that. Mm-hmm. And um, he, um, so, you know, at one point he came home and had been gone for like three days without, any communications, and I wouldn't let him in. And so um, I kept up with him on social media. He lost weight rapidly. He Wasn't a real big kid to begin with. Now he's real thin, pale, glassy-eyed. I'm, I'm watching his his pictures that he's posted on social media. And so we decided to have. Um, really, I decided. <laughs> My wife went along with me, and she didn't argue. But but uh, I decided that an intervention would be a good idea. And uh, okay. really, out of all the things I did, I think. The intervention was one of the better ideas. Nice. Um, and and we were able to get him into treatment through that intervention. It was it was intense. I would tell any parent that's thinking about doing it, it is a very difficult thing to go through.
0: Yeah.
1: But I think the, in most cases, I, I don't know what the success rate is, but it seems like they're very good at, you know, good interventionists. who have been at this for a while are very right. good about getting them to agree to go to treatment. Um, okay. So he was in treatment thirty days, um, and then uh, in South Florida,
0: okay.
1: and uh, that's another whole story. There was a, <laughs> there were a lot going on with with treatment facilities in South Florida at that time, but um, uh, he went from there into a halfway house, bounced mm-hmm. around to several different ones, and he spent a total of about nine months in Florida. Um, okay. He came back home, and he was doing a lot better. He was staying away from the people who had been a bad influence before. He was, uh, he got a job. Nice. Um, it was a starter job. He was working retail, you know, mm-hmm. not making a lot of money, but he was trying, you know, and, uh, he was going to IOP intensive outpatient care like group therapy two nights a week. Okay. Um, he seemed to want to get better and, um, uh, things were rolling along in a good direction, but as time went by, you know, he was beginning to relapse and I could sense that still mm-hmm. didn't really know a lot about addiction. And, right. um, and really, I hadn't dived in at that point. Um, I just saw it at that point as you know, I, it wasn't anything, wasn't my problem. He had a problem, and right. and and I think a lot of parents have this um, this kind of false idea that oh my my kid has a substance abuse problem. I'm going to send him to treatment, and they'll fix him. You know, they'll cure him and send him back, and he'll be you know good as new. And that's not how it works. No. And I think I knew better than that intellectually, but in my mind, somewhere in the back of my mind, I, I know I was sort of thinking that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, really I didn't realize I needed to work on myself during mm-hmm. that time and, and learn more about addiction and and improve my communication skills and my parenting yeah. skills and all of that. Um, so that, that's one of my things I would say to parents out there that are listening, you know, but, um, he, um, he, began to relapse and he came to me one day and he said, dad, you know, I'm heading in a bad direction again. And I said, I know <laughs> I could sense it. And he said, I'm, I'm hanging around a rough crowd. And I know I need to get away from these people who are a bad influence, but I just don't know how to accept a move. So he told me he had taken a job transfer back to Florida okay. um, to the area where he had been in treatment. And, uh, um, I told my wife, Kim, she made Chase promise he would come by and have a meal with us before leaving. Well, the day that he was supposed to come by and eat with us, he didn't show up. And it's getting later in the afternoon. Kim's getting up, she's getting upset because she thinks he's left for Florida without stopping by to say goodbye. And we all moved to the living room. We're sitting around in the living room, uh, just kind of talking, watching a little TV. And uh, I had a phone call from one of my friends. Well, I didn't want to disturb Kim and Justin with my phone conversation. Justin is our younger son. He was in the eighth grade at the time. So I went outside and I'm on my phone outside talking to my friend. It was May the 29th, 2014, really nice weather out. And I'm standing there in the front line talking to my friend on the cell phone when the police cruiser pulled up to the curb in front of my house. And the officer got out of his car and started up my driveway. And I told my friend, got to go, apparently Chase is in some kind of trouble and I went to meet that officer, and uh, there in the driveway where he told me that um, that Chase, there had been a bad wreck, and that Chase had died. And um, wow. he accompanied me inside, and I broke the news to my wife and, uh, and to Justin. And, of course, we all cried for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um took us a while to get settled down, and, and then we started asking the officer questions about
0: what had happened. Wow. Can't imagine. Yeah, and that definitely... I mean that's going to send you into a search and and then you know for our listeners today part of what you do now and the the heart behind your life right now is um, thefamilyrecoverycoach.com, as in moms dads siblings grandparents listening if you need help um, you're you've dedicated your your life now to doing that so uh, thefamilyrecoverycoach.com. Um to Yeah. And
1: I would be really quick to point out uh, to people that I'm not a licensed counselor or therapist. That's not, not what I do. I'm, I'm a family recovery coach. So
0: yeah.
1: I'm a person who has walked in your shoes. If you have a, um, child who has a, a substance abuse or substance use disorder, um, uh, I'm, I've walked in your shoes. I know what it's like. And, uh, I can help them with navigating the, you know, treatment options early on with trying to decide, make some really tough decisions about how to handle the situation. You know, do, you know, is do they need an intervention? Right. You know, those sorts of things. Um, and then, you know, working on communications, communication skills, um, and and learning about addiction, if they're if we can get their child into treatment while they're in treatment, that's a perfect time to uh, work on um, all of that. You know, yeah. the communication skills and and learning about addiction, and and then working on setting healthy boundaries.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's where thinking back to that season from your son dropping out of college, and then getting eventually into recovery. You know, in the intervention. That whole mm-hmm. season, the part lacking was. What you're basically trying to fill that void for families is mm-hmm. you. That's exactly. You didn't realize what you didn't know and needed to know and need yeah. to learn. So you've dedicated now your life to to family. and yeah, the family piece is so critical. S- family systems theory, the idea of a system that actually when mm-hmm. one thing changes, the whole system has to be changed. So we send our kid away to get help. They come back. If the system hasn't grown. Then we actually tend mm. to force that kid back into the old role. And so that's right. That's you're, exactly you're, right. Your growing is critical. Yeah. So how did this um how did this, I guess, how did you guys as a couple navigate this? Because you have two separate people, two very different people, I'm assuming. Mm. <laughs> <that> oh, yeah. <laughs> did not handle all the way from when you found things out when he was in college. Like I bet there's a lot of places in there where you didn't either agree or you wrestled or struggled. What were some of the tips you have when it comes to that for your marriage?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I would just say this: um, um, for the guys out there listening, uh, get uh, marry a really good wife like I did (laughs) because she (laughs) she put up with a lot of stuff. I'll just say that you know she's she's very very, uh, tolerant. (laughs) Uh, of me. And, um, so I would just say that she gave me a lot of grace in that area for sure. Um, she, she is, um, we were, we are very different, you know, in that Mm -hmm. respect. And, and actually I think I was probably, and and it's not usually like this. I think, I think in most families, the dad is more, I was, I was definitely have the military background. So I was definitely, Um, very uh, stern in Mm -hmm. some regards and and not as approachable as she was. But in some ways I was the, I was the bigger enabler. I was the bigger rescuer, you know, and, and I was the one who was out there, you know, uh, trying to figure out what he was up to and trying and, you know, kind of meddling in his affairs a little bit, trying to, trying to rescue him. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, and in terms of the grief, um, you know, early on, I just didn't, you know, I didn't have a clue. Yeah. Um, she went to grief share. I don't know if you, if you're familiar yes. with grief share or not, but yes, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: really good program. And, and I was doing my own grieving and mine was through, through my book, you know, through writing right. the book and, and really I should have gone to grief share with her mm-hmm. And and I didn't, you know, and, and uh, but she was very tolerant of that. She went twice on her own, and um, she got me into um, kind of the end of the last um, uh, time that she went through, and then eventually I went on my own okay. uh, to share <laughs> program, yeah. uh, and I would recommend that to anyone who's who's going through that. Which uh, that's a I good go point
0: through. is that you're going to both grieve in different ways. So you mm-hmm. did it with writing. Um, but then she went to a very good program and there are, there are these all over the country. Um, and if there's not one near you, find a church and ask them to do it. And like, it's a really good program, but your spouse may not want to join you. They may refuse to, Right, that grace is really critical for the timing of when they hopefully will.
1: And, you know, here's the one other thing I would like to point out on that is that, um, she shared with me later how hard she was grieving. And she did not really share that at the time. Hmm. And I think that's pretty common with yes. women that they, you know, don't always tell you everything that they're thinking. And, right. um, you know, she, um, maybe that's a little bit different with her though. in in the, in the respect that um she, she was very just keeping that to herself because she said yeah. she yeah well she 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 said well I, I knew you were going through your own grieving process and I didn't want to interfere with that so she didn't share with me but I, I you know at the time I you know if I if I could go back and do it again I would say yeah. hey you know I wish you had told me because um, I didn't realize just how serious it was you know right. for her
0: well and and, I think uh, that's a really more important
1: support from me.
0: Right. That's an important point. My wife would be that way as well. She's going to keep everything inside. But that Mm -hmm. perspective of I don't want to add more to his plate. I don't want to burden him more. Right. One of the Mm -hmm. things that I do is called the healing marriage. And to me, this is the time you turn to each other even more so. This is Mm a time where we need to lean on each other. We must. But where I see it all fall apart is when I try to make them grieve like I grieve. Mm -hmm. there's not permission to grieve in your own way so it's like Mm -hmm. you either have to go to grief share or we're done and so i actually what i see is a lot of couples actually divorce during the season of loss um and no this is the time to hang on even tighter Mm -hmm. and to be honest Mm -hmm. about um don't go this alone Um, more women than men are going to go to counseling yeah men specifically men find someone you can trust and whether it's a mentor or someone where you can word vomit or even break down. um, Don't try to go this alone. Uh, And I know most of you probably will (laughs) for at least a season, Right. but finding that group, if the group isn't the right fit, find another one. Like grief shares are going to be all different, no matter where you go or, Mm -hmm. or something like that. Find one where you really, okay, this is going to be my team.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, it does seem like a lot of guys have a, have a difficult time sharing and being open, you know, in those types of environments. And, uh, I would just say, you know, there were, there was at least one other guy in my grief here. And I think there might've been two, but, um, uh, you know, uh, it was great for all of us, really. It, it was just a good, good program all the way around. And, um, And, you know, you have to get that stuff that's bottled up inside of you out. You have to get that pain out in healthy ways. Right. And keeping it bottled up inside, especially if you're going through that anger phase. And not everybody goes through the same, all the same phases and and in all the in the same order. But especially if you're going through that anger, you've got to, you need a healthy outlet for that. Um, because just not, it's just not good for you.
0: Right. Yeah. The, one of the things that's also neat in terms of some of the research and just this kind of more also for the guys is some of you don't want to share and you don't have to, but Mm. find a group with, that's more educational and less hold hands and talk. (laughs) That's what it feels like to you. Right. Um, Right. And you'll find that actually and this is what's neat about some of the research is that sometimes the groups that are more educational actually can be more powerful than just, just a group that's just sharing, sharing. That's why grief shares got both. And it's got the teaching along with a time to actually, in a sense, be in fellowship with others that are grieving. But that teaching time is the part we want to push aside a lot. No, that's lean into that. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to say a word. You don't have to share anything until you're ready. And so lean into that teaching. You
1: know, you, you brought another idea to mind uh, for those guys that are, that are out there listening, mm-hmm. they're going through the grieving process. Um, you know, I think the 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 teaching side of that is important.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: However, if they're not ready for a program like what you and I are describing here the Grief Share, um one thing that i found for guys um w- when guys need to discuss um deep uh, difficult topics um one of the best things to do is to go do something with a with a dad or brother or another mm-hmm. guy friend that doesn't involve that That involves using your hands to do something like uh, my dad and I used to go fishing all the time. We had some of the best conversations while exactly. we were fishing, you know? Yeah. Um, and you don't even have to make eye contact, you know, sometimes you don't even have to say a whole lot, you know, right. it's just, just being there together is, uh, is really um, a, a great experience. And and a lot of times there's a lot of nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's part of the, the power of community, but for men, you look at churches and look at women's ministries and women's group, it tends to be large. It tends to be fellowship and full of activity. Mm -hmm. And the men's is over here, either dead or dying Mm -hmm. because it needs to center around some shared activity. Yeah. Anywhere from mountain climbing to go shoot guns, to go ride motorcycles, to go to a UFC fight or whatever it is. And everyone's got their different thing, but I'm a shrink. I'm a counselor. So for me, eye contact is critical. And I've had to yeah. learn yeah. sitting around a fire where you can't really make eye contact. Some of the mm-hmm. most amazing conversations can be had. Yeah. Um, or sitting at a basketball game next to someone where you're looking forward, but you're talking to each other. They're going to open up more. Yeah. Find those, find your tribe, find your people and find it around your area that you love. I'm a motorcycle guy. I ride a Harley. It's been, you know, and by years past um, my previous life in Georgia, it was my motorcycle guys that were kind of my tribe. Now it's Boy Scout mm-hmm. dads, uh, but men, you okay. need, yeah. you need that. So I love that you made that point. That's a, such an important point of just shared activity and you sometimes don't even have to share much.
1: Yeah, you know my younger son, um Justin, he's uh he's a recent college graduate and mm-hmm. uh he is uh waiting to uh, uh enroll in a PhD program this fall.
0: Nice.
1: And uh he's been homesome and and uh he has a Microsoft flight simulator. Well, in my previous life, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was a pilot. I was a professional pilot. Oh neat. And so yeah, so he knows that and um, he's just suddenly taken an interest in uh, aviation. And so um, he's really absorbing a lot really fast. And mm. uh, he'll call me in and I'm not, I've not been prompting this at all, but he'll call me in and say, Hey, dad, come uh, handle the radios for me on this flight, you know? And uh, then he wow. asks me questions as we, as we do it together. And man, this has been a great, it's a great bonding uh, time, you know, activity That's for awesome. us. And And yeah, we're both learning from each other. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Really cool. How old is he now? 22. 22, yeah. So that's such a great, a lot of parents lose, potentially lose relationship as they graduate and leave. And so that's a great Mm. thing to hang on to. Absolutely. I know I love skiing and and snowboarding and stuff. And so it's been fun to be on the lifts. And uh, this picture behind me is from just a few weeks ago up in um, the Cascades here in Oregon. Oh, neat and just being able to just on the list, have conversations and I'm realizing, and they're going to leave and grow and be gone. And I'm going to lose my, my lift buddies. <laughs> right. <laughs> Each stage the of life requires. Yeah.
1: I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was yeah. just going to say the same has happened to me with, yeah. um, you know, we, uh, we worked out together a lot.
0: Uh, oh, nice.
1: Both my boys played football and, uh, through college and, uh, um, you know, we, um, we work out a lot together. Nice. And so sometimes I miss him when he has gone. I don't have my workout partner. Here. That's right. That's
0: right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let's come back to your marriage though. Like what, what yeah. were some of the struggles you guys had as a couple, um, kind of just throughout those, those years, um, did, was, was there something that happened? Was there, or you really were kind of got on the same page? Like, how did that go for you guys?
1: Previous to or during the during the addiction time or after the after in, he died or
0: kind of whatever of that stands out to you that could yeah. be helpful for those that might be really wrestling in their marriage. Because I that's what I see is a lot of couples, their marriage is hanging on by a thread um, because pain yeah. brings out the worst part kind of, of where we're at. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, you know, I have to go back a little bit because I'm, I'm really good at blocking out. Some of those memories that you know aren't so yes. good, aren't so good, but yeah. um, um, uh, just thinking back on that a little bit, um, uh, yeah, there was definitely a lot of it, a lot of tension when he was um, in the midst of the um, substance abuse, um, and I think part of that was because I didn't understand what was going on and you know, I was just coming down on him, like, you know, what are you doing? And I was right. just really, you know, just, just trying to, trying to put, you know, get him in line. Right. And uh, yeah. I didn't realize that it's not that simple, you know, right. like, Hey, dad says, do this. And you better straighten <laughs> up and do this. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, you could, that's, I've got a little bit of military background, so that that's where some of that comes from. But, uh, uh, anyway, uh, you know, just that tension between the mm-hmm. two of us, between me and him. Um, and then, you know, with him, you know, being a teenager and the, the testosterone, both of us, you know, just budding heads. I'm sure that happens a lot with, with father and sons out there, but I did not realize how much stress that was putting my wife under. I didn't realize how much it was stressing her out. And uh, she developed this um, situation with her legs. Where she would um she would um uh, it, it was noticeable at night, and you would you know the first thing that pops into your head is restless leg syndrome mm-hmm. and um uh, it was very similar to that in the in the um the symptoms, but we went to every kind of doctor you can go to, and wow. they they ran every kind of brain scan you can think of and Uh, We ended up going over to Duke University Mm -hmm. and, and doctor there, he looked at all of her charts. He looked at everything she'd been through and he was like, it's just stress, Mm -hmm. just stress. The whole thing was just stress and it was literally involuntary leg jerks to the, to the extent that, um, you know, she could be sitting uh, somewhere and we might be out somewhere and her right leg would just come way up and foot would slam down, you know, and, um, anyway, I didn't realize how much, you know, my tension with, with our other son was right. stressing her out because again, that communication wasn't really there. Right. So, um, you know, wives talk to your husbands and, yes. and, and, you know, I know that there are some that they definitely let their husbands know every time mm-hmm. they're stressed out, maybe a little bit <laughs> that's, too much,
0: right? It's well, <laughs> true. Um,
1: but so it's, it's, it's personality driven. There's different personalities involved there, but, uh, but everybody's got has to be, you know, communicating, and um, and and this is this kind of brings up another point to for me here is is back to the communications with the kids. But this applies really with all communications, is that you know one of the things that that they teach in PAL is respond, don't react. Mm-hmm. So there are things that tend to trigger all of us emotionally. Yep. And, and when we get triggered, we tend to lash out and say things that we don't mean or get really loud. And so when you feel that coming on, um, and I've had to learn how to do this, right? So part of the fruit of the spirit is (laughs) self-control. Oh, don't go there. Oh, don't go there. Yes. Yes. so I've had to learn self-control and and I'm still learning it, by yeah. the way, <laughs> I'm a work in progress. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when I feel that coming on you now, I go, okay, wait, I feel this. I feel this coming on. I realize that I've been triggered emotionally and I need to just either step away for a few minutes or, you know, take a deep breath and get, get that heart rate down and get the breathing down. And then, you know, when I'm under control, then we can have a, a response, not a reaction. And oh, true. It makes a huge difference in the communication because when you have that reaction, the, the wall just goes up right away, you know, yeah. and the communication stops. You may be talking back and forth, but there's no communication really taking place.
0: What it reminds me of, um, Gary Smalley, um, long time ago in his 70s before he passed away he made the comment and and probably one of his last books he wrote and last times he was speaking, but he's like, I finally figured out how to love my wife. It's like, Ooh, Gary Smalley. Let's, let's find out what is this? He said, it's not tailgating. And I'm like, what? (laughs) He goes, I'm fine with it. But when I get closer to that car in front of me, my wife's stress level goes up and my loving her, Is not doing things that cause her more stress, and it's like, oh crap! That's good. <laughs> it's true. It's yeah. Well, I hear one hits people, home with me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hear people all the time. It's like, well, this is just the way I am. It's like, yeah, and that's probably an area that needs some work, <laughs> right? <laughs> just I'm angry, or I I don't I, I just react. So learn skills uh-huh. to put a pause button in there so you don't react, so that you can respond. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I tell people it's a practice. It is. Um, just like um, there's a medical practice and yep. a law practice <laughs> <laughs> because they're still learning, right? Yep. And And, uh, you know, you never stop learning. Uh, hopefully, well, like, that's the goal. Like you in the medical, learn
0: I can't imagine how much money you probably spent on asking doctors the question of what's wrong with her legs to then find out mm. it's stress. I've heard that so many right. times. Mm-hmm. My whole health mm-hmm. journey is has been crazy. And hospitalizations galore and medications, like so many things. And now I'm, I manage it with just diet and stress management. So no, Mm -hmm. I don't spend money on all those people. It's like our stress is actually, we're all different and some can handle a lot Mm -hmm. more. Um, And then Mm -hmm. we see through like military service in certain places there or severe trauma where you have PTSD, kind of the extreme reaction, Um, and it can be from anything, but losing a child or having a child, even if you haven't lost them, um, as you kind of pointed out, it's almost harder, even the season when they're still going through where there's always the unknown, wondering if the next phone call, uh, what's the next shoe that's going to drop that stress. Mm -hmm. Your wife was responding and her body was actually communicating very loudly I'm not okay. Mm. I'm not not okay. I'm not okay.
1: Yeah. And, and we weren't, you know, nobody had a clue. Mm. Not even she realized what was causing Mm. all of that.
0: And I think about Uh, that a lot, like a lot of people, their bodies even telling them stuff, but because we mm -hmm. don't understand that language, we don't hear Mm -hmm. it. We don't know. And a lot of our mental health and physical health, physical health symptoms, I think are more stress related and life related then some diagnosable, here's a pill for that, uh, which is really what we want. We want some quick fix. Mm -hmm. Cause you're in a season Um, that's hard. That's actually not hard. It's near impossible for us as humans.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, uh, in terms of the, um, the PTSD, I Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that some of the parents that I have uh, worked with, um, have experienced ptsd absolutely yes Um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know just i used to really not think ptsd was real but i do believe it's real now (laughs) and uh uh, yeah i I do believe that some of these parents are experiencing ptsd um because
0: uh, go that word ptsd or that those letters we tend to only associate it with military Even though there's been a a couple of decades of research showing the contrary, we still tend to associate that. So, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. The the trauma that we get sent through and stress from um, a child and and someone we love and their their drama, if you will, um, their relationship with their addiction, and then the loss, absolutely, yes.
1: Some of these parents, their children have overdosed multiple times or been, been to treatment and back multiple times or overdosed in front of them, or they had to revive them. These are some of the situations, you know, that's a very traumatic experience having to basically bring your own child back to life, you know, or save their life. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So fast forward to today, 2023, it's been many, many years uh, I guess that's nine years. Um, how are you? I know what you're doing is, you know, the familyrecoverycoach.com. And how are things for you, your marriage? Um, what's changed since then for you guys? Uh,
1: let's see. Well, I think, you know, um, I would say that we're closer probably now than we've ever been. Um Great. Uh, yeah. Um, in some respects, you know, in some respects, there, there's definitely room for improvement, you know. Yeah, but, of
0: course. But there's, <laughs> Forever. There, there's no the sign uh, of heaven.
1: <laughs> there's no um, there's no storm clouds on the horizon. There's no there's no emergencies or anything. Right. You know, they're really pressing. And, um, uh, you know, probably I don't still, you know, being the guy probably still don't pay as much attention to certain things as I should. (laughs) And and I know that at least I'm aware of that. You know, I I get into my, um, into my zone in terms Mm -hmm. of trying to get my work done and things like that. And, and, uh, but I try to be, um, uh, cognizant of, you know, I know that she wants a certain amount of, and she's not very demanding on time. Like a lot of women, you know, are, but she, (laughs) (laughs) Is <laughs> and I'm very fortunate in that regard that she, you know, she gives me my space, she gives me my time, but but I know I need to spend, you know, x amount of time with her every day, and we're going to carve out this time, and and we do try to go do things together, and nice. um, we are right now we're uh, we finally uh, bought a a lot. <laughs> she retired in uh, 2020, February 2020, and we started looking for it. We've been in our starter house for over 30 years. <laughs> and, uh, we, uh, we were ready for, we were ready to move out a little bit and and have a little bit bigger home and nothing huge, but just a little bit bigger and something newer. And, um, and, um, you know, it was just the worst time in the world to start looking for a new house. And, uh, finally she decided I found the perfect floor plan and, uh, this is what I want. And let's just build this house. And you pick the lot. You know, and so, uh, we, at first you wanted a like a waterfront property, but that was getting harder and harder to find uh, yeah. during the COVID times because a lot of people moving to this area. Right. And so, um, we found a seven and a half acre lot in the country. And, um, I grew up in the country, so it allows us to at least have some serene surroundings some really beautiful surroundings with a lot of wildlife and all that so the build hasn't started yet but we're hoping to get it done by the end of this year
0: Nice.
1: and uh so that's that's something that we're working on together that we're both there's a future vision there you know and um uh one of the things that did bring us together a lot too and we're kind of come to the end of an era with that now is our you know both of our boys played football from the time they were just little kids and um uh, so when when our youngest one, Justin, was playing football in college, we would it was, it was a four hour drive from here. But every home game and, and most away games, we would be there to uh, watch his his football games and cheer him on. And that was just a, a great bonding time. You know, the, the drive there yeah. and back, you know, went. When I wasn't tailgating,
0: <laughs> you know,
1: like, <laughs> like you brought, up. <laughs> <No>.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So I'm guilty of that. I don't really, I don't think I tailgate, but she does. So I'm you here. know, if she thinks I tailgate, <laughs> then it's a problem, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So point taken on that. Uh, I'll, I'll be working on that. But, <laughs> but yeah, th- th- those are those are kind of some of the things that we share together that you know uh, give us that that mm-hmm. time together to really you know work on our relationship.
0: That's neat. Yeah. And that's the, the, you mentioned kind of before we hit record that she's retired and you're retired, but you're really not retired as in. Right. What you're doing now is the family recovery coach and your heart and passion is to serve families. And the cool thing is, is we can do it in a way through zoom and through other means. Um, but one of the things that I even encourage other people just thinking about is if you're not involved in a local church, find a local church. Get involved with Mm -hmm. real people face to face uh, for your own sanity. But yes, there are online, incredible online communities that will support you, love you, um, be there for you. And then partner with someone who actually has been on that journey um, and can help support you through that uh, season. It's really, really, really a lifesaver
1: that's a great point that you bring up there. And, um, I would just say that, you know, um, the, the group that I volunteer my time with is PAL, Parents of Addicted Loved Ones. It mm-hmm. is a Christian based group and, um, they are nationwide nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, most, uh, if you, you go on their website, you can find a, they, they, they prefer that you have in-person meetings and really I do too. But when yes. COVID hit, My group moved online and we haven't been back. Um, But uh, so we do have an online meeting and and PAL does have um, their headquarters online meeting that people can get into. So if they can't access a local meeting, they can get into an online meeting if they need to. But that community with other parents who are going through the same thing is so, so, so vital. Yeah.
0: And that's where I 100% agree. In person, face to face, incarnational, in the body, changes mm. our our physiology. We are meant to be in person. Yeah, it's how we are made. We found that out through COVID. But it's also what we learned is that the power of just anybody. When I have nobody, the online becomes a, a lifesaver, a lifeline. That I, I those will continue. Those were not gonna. That's not gonna fade yeah. away also what i've seen is um the role of that for people who are busy who can't make the drive who have little kids at home and can't deal with you know sitters and all that the online allows for you to walk in the garage (laughs) pull up your laptop right um i I meet with people all the time that i'm like oh you're in your other office and they're sitting in their car in their Mm -hmm. garage (laughs) don't turn the car on Uh uh but right they and they would you know are able to to be a part of the community but not just be to receive you're a part of that community to also give Yeah. you may not think you have anything to give but that is not true that you actually worst of your pain someone Mm -hmm. will be blessed by hearing your story hearing your Mm -hmm. heart so be a part of this community online or in person
1: yeah absolutely yeah um The one other thing I would like to mention is that uh, I am still available for uh, prevention speaking. I've done quite a bit of that, um, in terms of, um, you know, impaired driving prevention and just, uh, drug prevention. Um, you know, Chase's story is a really, really, really crazy story with a lot of twists and turns. And, um, I've been telling it for so long, you know, I can, I can tailor it to any group, but the, the core story obviously remains the same, but, Mm -hmm. um, uh, I've, I've really talked to a lot of, um, high school and, um, middle school age, uh, kids and even college age. And, um, it, it, uh, really, I see a lot of kids wiping away tears when they hear the story because it, it does, it definitely touches them. And I get a lot of, a lot of, people come up to me after the, after the talk and want to engage. So, um, so anybody that that's looking for, you know, prevention, speaking, um, you know, churches, that's really uh, my second talk was in a church. Nice. And um, so your, your
0: website, thefamilyrecoverycoach.com, there's a phone number up top, blog, contact information, definitely reach out to book a speaking. um, But also if you, And I can't stress this enough. If you need someone to help walk you through, find a coach, find someone who Mm -hmm. the word that I, I use instead of even coaching is it's discipleship. Mm, It's helping you through a season of becoming someone bigger and better than you are, but it actually matters who you're being led by. So if you're being led by someone who's not well at all, or has a very different worldview than you you're going to become more like your teacher. So careful. So find yes. someone who's a believer who um, can walk you through and point you to scripture and point you to a community. Um, it, it, that's critical. So reaching out to um, Daryl Rogers, but another, uh, you have more web, like I do, I have tons of websites, but your other <laughs> place you can go is Daryl Rogers.com. D A R R Y L R O D G E R S.com. Um, Link will be in the show notes too, but um, go there. There's actually a a course that you have and free downloads for the PDFs, just some tools to help you. um, If you're in this season, if this is something that you're facing right now, uh, do not do this alone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. I can't stress that part enough. Yeah. Definitely, definitely need to, to find somebody to, Mm -hmm. to uh, help them through that
0: Wonderful. And so Daryl, thank you so much for being on the show and talking and, and sharing with our audience. And uh, definitely been a blessing to me. I teach a, a psych of addiction class here at the university I teach at, and we'll be talking about what we've talked about and and um, have, I'll have them listen to what you you even said, just okay. To, uh, okay. How they prepare to be um, helpers. But um, just a, a definite blessing to have you on and your vulnerability.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on today.
0: Pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Life Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.